Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of Sports with Friends. There's so much to be thankful for. We are have another episode. I hope you enjoyed Shannon Dreyer. She was wonderful. We had the two-part interview with her, and, and, and what an outstanding broadcaster she has become. We've got a broadcaster and a half tonight. I mean, this is going to be a fun one. Um, this guest, I know him from his days at ESPN. Uh, we're going to talk to him about his illustrious career. Right now, he hosts a show called Freddie and Fitzsimmons with some chap named Ian Fitzsimmons, who's not on the podcast, but Freddie <laughs> Coleman is, and he is the man, the myth, the legend. Freddie Coleman, welcome to Sports with Friends. How are you, buddy? I'm good, brother Seth. How are you doing, my man? It's been a really long time, and I used to come in, We I used to pester you on, on your show back in the late nights, and I remember that. You know, you were one of the saving graces. I was at ESPN for a short time, but man, I met some people that I, 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 I saw you on Twitter, and I said, oh my God, how do we not have this guy on the podcast? especially as long as we've known each other, but you know how life 101 Seth can get in a way where you're trying to do things here, trying to do things there, trying to make sure that you're safe, trying to make sure your family's safe. But what's the old line better late than never. Well, better late than never. Here we are. There's so many people that have come on the podcast going, you have 260 goddamn episodes and you haven't had me on. You had the right <laughs> attitude. That's why we like having you on the show. It's a pleasure to be here, number one. Also good to catch up with a friend who's not an old friend. I never consider people old friends. I just consider people friends from that standpoint. And the fact you've been able to create this niche says a lot for you and that people want to be a part of that. So I'm honored to be here, my friend, and I really appreciate you asking. I appreciate it. Um, I have not spoken to you since you uh, partnered with Ian. And I'm just curious, was that their idea, your idea? Does it make your job easier? Is it harder? Tell me about the difference, because you were doing a solo show for a really, really long time. And I'm not going to, anybody who's listened to this podcast knows, I am not a massive fan of solo shows. Right. I just think they're really, really hard to make work. And does the dialogue with him help the show? Has it made it better? It completely has helped the show and made it better from that standpoint, because it wasn't broken what I was doing, Seth, by myself, but at the same time, it's always good to have another voice on the other side that you know is not going to be the same as you are, that even if you're agreeing on things, there's a different road that you're going to take to that kind of agreement, no matter what kind of segment, what kind of situation that's going to be. And it was proposed to me because I, I didn't make any overtures about that, but I wasn't exactly going to say no to the idea. But I wanted to make sure somebody right, because if you're going to partner with somebody it's got to be somebody that you know that you're going to have the kind of relationship that you want, not only on the microphone side, but also outside of the microphone. And Ian and I had known each other for more than a minute. So when his name was brought to me, I said, absolutely, that's the guy. Because if I had been anybody else, I probably said, you know what, I'll just stick to the Freddie Coleman show and have done with it. But there's no doubt it's made the show better. And I honestly believe it's made me better as a broadcaster, mainly because it's not forcing me to think. I'm always a curious person anyway. But it's always cool to have a reaction from him that maybe you didn't expect or maybe you didn't did expect. And then you react from that standpoint. So we've been going pretty strong for a pretty good minute on ESPN radio. There was a rumor. I was like the 14th choice. Can you confirm that? There were a lot of choices. Believe me, I don't know. I'm not I don't know about names and serial numbers and all from that standpoint. But there were more than a couple of names that were bandied about for that position. There were a couple of people that got in touch with me and said, why do you speak up for me? And I said, well, it was sort of my decision, but not sort of my decision. So 
no, if they no. had an issue with that, they got to tell the people that that decide to, to sign off on this when it comes to Freddie and Vince Simmons. Could you imagine? If you found out, actually, you were the twenty-first, and uh, the first twenty people said yes, so you had no shot. Uh, <laughs> there's that that possibility. Um, I, I'm not going to belittle what you were doing before ESPN, but how did you make the jump from doing local radio in upstate New York to this national platform? What was the what? I didn't know you then, so tell me what was the. Was that a phone call? Was that you pitching something? How did that transpire? Two words, Jason Barrett, because Jason Barrett at that time was the producer of Game Night. And we had known each other from our days in the Hudson Valley, working at Poughkeepsie, New York, and also Wappingers, New York, which is a subsidiary of Poughkeepsie, New York, when I was working for Classic Rock Radio and doing stuff on the TV side. And Jason was doing producing stuff for the local radio cluster in the Hudson Valley in New York. And there was an opening for game night because at that point, Seth, I had just gotten to Albany in February 2004 doing a radio show each and every afternoon in the Fox Sports affiliate with my my man, John Tobin. I was not looking to make any kind of jump up because Albany is a great market, great people. I love the Capital District. It's a really cool and fun place to work. So I'd always wanted to work there. I had never even thought about working in a bigger market. I figured if I could make it in Albany and really make my name there, I could really do something from that standpoint. So ESPN radio wasn't even on my radar. It wasn't even on the shelf. But Jason Barrett thought there was something in me. He said, you should audition. We got an opening for game night. And I said, okay, <laughs> game night with Chuck Wilson. That game night, he goes, yeah. Right, we, Tony Bruno, right. Yeah, Tony Bruno and Chris Moore, all those dudes from that all standpoint. I said, I didn't realize there was an opening. He said, yeah, we've had people try out. And I, re- he said, I really think you should do that. So I was able to send him my stuff. And then Dave Zaslowski, who at that time was the producer weekend game night, because he had that. And Louise Cornetta had weekday game night. Louise Cornetta, another great exactly. person. Yeah, and she's still there. She's one of my favorite people I've had a chance to work with in my 16 plus years at ESPN Radio. And Dave got in touch with me and said, yeah, we'd like to bring you down for an audition. And 16 and a half years plus later, I'm still here doing my thing. Okay, send her my best. And you mentioned Jason Barrett. There's there's irony all over the place. First of all, I just started writing for him. Yep. Uh, his his website. I'm doing this column, and I'm having so much fun. Uh, it was such a great idea. And Jason's been on Sports with Friends. He was episode 173. Uh-huh. And it, don't laugh, but and the, the people who listen to this podcast, about three months ago, I had to uh, make a list for a sponsor. And so I went back to the podcast and I found all the get, and now I've just been updating it. Right. So I can literally just do a search. And I typed in Jason Barrett while you were telling that story. And I can see he's episode 173. He was after Dolph Lundgren and before Packers hall of famer, Leroy Butler. Jeez. Excuse me, Jason Barrett. (laughs) Right in the middle, Jason Barrett. And that's two episodes after the great uh, Eddie Dominguez, mm-hmm. the longtime baseball security man oh, yeah. uh, who wrote that book, Baseball Cop. That is the reason Rob Manfred hates my guts now, which is fantastic. <laughs> uh, and that's episode 171. And I've often pointed people whenever people have me on radio stations and they ask me about Rob Manfred. I just say, listen to episode 171 because it's all out there and it's <laughs> all his dirty laundry has aired. Right. <laughs> And it was really funny. And I've told this story on the podcast before. Um, some people at MLB reached out to me. And I thought 
it, I'm not going to bore the audience with the details, but I thought it was a very friendly thing. And they said, uh, Rob wants to see you. Ooh. And I was like, huh? And I said, great. This is all pre-pandemic. And right. I said, great. I said, I'll bring my recorder. We'll do a podcast. It'll be fun. And he said, actually, talk first. Podcast maybe later. And I said, oh, okay. And so we scheduled it and it kept getting moved around and we scheduled it for March, 2020. And thank you, Rudy Gobert for canceling I was about to say, yeah, that <laughs> pandemic kind of saved you a little bit from going to the principal's office. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, that, that never happened. And then he was getting killed for the pandemic and the way they were handling it. And I said, yeah, my problem with him had nothing to do with that. Like I said, exactly. yeah. it, it was way uh, deeper, deeper than that. Um, you have been at ESPN for a, a while and you have seen a transformation mm -hmm. and you've seen so many of our mutuals uh, let go by that place. Uh, there has been massive layoffs. Um, how alarming is that? Uh, do you have lines of communication? You don't have to tell all your, your inside stories, but do you have, um, did you get assurances? Um, have you been on top of your contract situation? Just because, it, and it's not just ESPN. I mean, ESPN gets picked on a lot because they were so uh, demonstrative with, and the, I mean, Claire Smith and Jason Stark and Jane McManus. And, oh my God, it's just ridiculous. But you're still there and you, you survived those things. How unnerving was that? Especially somebody, Seth, who's been through that a couple of times where companies have downsized because I've been through that in radio. I've also been through that in television with cable vision because when you're a big company and all of a sudden that bottom line is not gonna be what you want it to be or what it's supposed to be, they always come for the little people first. They very rarely come for the big people in those instances. So. It's always unnerving. I don't care if it's ESPN. I don't care if it's Fox Sports. I don't care if it's CBS or any number of jobs that have been lost during the pandemic because of the pandemic. Anytime you have good people that are no longer employed, it's always going to be a, a slap in the face. And we understand exactly what we've gotten ourselves into. So I never worry about having any kind of assurances, no matter what kind of contract I've been able to sign. I know it can go away any second if they decide, hey, Freddie, we're going to go in a different direction. I can plead my case, but there won't be anything that's going to be done about that because they made their decision. So it's never easy going to those things, especially when I've been on both sides of that, seeing people being walked out of the building and me being walked out of the building. But when it's always a fluid situation, Seth, even more so than ever before, you have to clearly understand that it is not personal. It is a business decision, but it is personal because when they wake up tomorrow morning, they're going to work. When you wake up tomorrow morning, if you've been in that situation, you got to think about, okay, what do I got to do with unemployment, taking care of my family? So there's so many things that may come from a business standpoint that is really personalized because somebody has to find something else to do when they were taken out of a job that they really loved and the people that they really enjoyed working with. This episode is presented by GoClip. And you know, the COVID-19 pandemic is still here, even though we're all excited about the vaccine and the possibilities of returning to whatever normal is, we still need to wear masks. And GoClip is a new product that's out that can actually make it easier to wear masks. Jeff Eagles is the co-founder and chief product officer of GoClip. And Jeff, Jeff, tell everybody what this is. Well, this is a... A great new product. It's it's a brand. It's part of a brand new category of products that we're calling mask 
optimization products. You know, there's a ton of different masks out there in the marketplace that people are using uh, from medical grade to, you know, sort of homespun uh, styles and, you know, homegrown businesses. And we've really looked for solutions that make wearing all of those masks uh, more comfortable, more convenient and a safer experience. So this particular product allows you to uh, attach the ear straps of a mask um, to your piece of headwear and it works with all different types of headwear to relieve the pressure of ear straps uh, off of your ears uh, and make it a lot more comfortable to wear face masks. Basically, it's two clips that you can clip to a hat, a scarf. What, what other things can you can you attach these to? Can it be the straps of a helmet? From baseball cap to knit caps, um, to headbands, uh, to visors, to surgeon's caps. I mean, we've tested this on all different types of headwear. Um, so yeah, it attaches wherever uh, on the hat that you need it to attach to provide the most optimal fit of the mask. So if your straps need to uh, be a little bit further back or a little bit further forward, depending on the length of the straps and the elasticity of the straps. Basically, this helps you keep the mask on. It keeps it on in the right place and it doesn't wrap around your ears. Exactly. So it's a lot more comfortable, especially for people wearing, having to wear masks for uh, six, seven, eight hours at a time. You can imagine shift workers, restaurant workers, food prep, frontline caregivers. Uh, creates a, a lot of relief of that ear pain. It also um, provides different storage options for your mask. So when you're not using your mask, um, it allows you to store it up over your forehead, over the bill of your hat. For example, um, instead of putting that mask on the car seat, on the restaurant table, on the um, in your pocket and all these different places that really uh, compromise the safety of the mask. And they come in black, white, navy, royal, and red. You can check them out at their website, thegoldclip.com. Jeff Eagles, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Seth. Don't forget to go to www.thegoldclip.com and check out GoClip because you still need to wear a mask. There's one other ESPN uh, uh, aspect, um, and that is uh, whenever it got to issues uh, – that are off the field, um, whether it's politics or social issues or, or whatnot. Uh, there was that, uh, that very highly publicized Jamel Hill, yep. uh, Donald Trump incident. And, and, and that all happened. And I've known you and I, listen, I, I I've been a, a fan before I knew you. And, and since I knew you, you don't shy away from things like that, but you walk a line because you're the same guy who will make sure your opinion is told, but then the next break, you'll break down the Alabama, you know, two, three defense or whatever, the, whatever the hell they do. Um, you, you can, you can compartmentalize that. Uh, Scott Masler used to always say that, like as soon as the segment's over, it, you move on to the next segment. Um, this summer, that was incredibly hard. Um, how do you balance those things? It always starts with sports stuff and you can have things tied to it. But I firmly believe that when you do a sports talk radio show, there's a certain line that you can't cross. You can get personal about things and things can affect you. I clearly understand that. But my line has always been, if it's not tied to sports, then that's not what we're supposed to do. For example, I'm not going to watch CNN to find out about Alabama and their upcoming NCAA tournament hosts. 
when I'm watching CNN or headline news, I know what I want. I know I'm supposed to get. By the same token, I wouldn't want anybody listening to me and combining me with robbing me. There's nothing against her, but she has what she does and I have what I do. So it always starts with sports. And if things blur the lines, if things are kind of a gray area, then sure, you got to be able to discuss those things. And especially in the pandemic, when that happened last year, there were so many things that were not going on. For example, live sports. But we find a way to tie in different things that were going to be sports-centric or have sports as that baseline, even though no live action was going on. And then when live action came back, whether it was the NBA or the National Hockey League or Major League Baseball getting started, the NFL and college football around the corner, we didn't go away from those stories that we were able to talk about during the pandemic. If anything, it, it, it broadened our show because now we could go after those certain aspects and really tie it in. For example, we had Cameron break the tight end from the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers last, uh, last week after he's the one that caught the Lombardi trophy from Tom Brady. We might not have done that in previous years because it was five days after the Super Bowl. But we said, hey, that's a story. And then we can tell his story and let him tell his story. So it was able to expand our show. And I'm glad we did not forget about those things we did during the pandemic when no live sports were going on. What about, um, I'll, I'll give you a case in point. Um, I was a critic of the NFL putting out their schedule in May when they didn't know they were going to get it done. And what I wanted was transparency and saying, we're going to try. <laughs> we, right. we want to, you know, and I think everybody would have rallied around them. Um, I was against the baseball season. I thought the baseball season was hodgepodge and I stand by that. And, and, and now uh, they're all crying poverty. And if you think there was vitriol about the fight over the summer, just wait till that vaccine comes and you can get, you know, 100% capacity in Fenway Park and you walk because of a labor stoppage. And that's that you want to see vitriol. That's going to be real vitriol. What about um, the idea that during the pandemic, sometimes sports were were wrong? You know, yeah. I, I'm not trying not to put words in your mouth, but I want to get your take on when the Pac-12 and the Big Ten said no, but the SEC is saying, sure, let's play. ESPN has contracts with, with, with the SEC. Do they want you to be criticizing bad medical decisions? Well, they want us to be honest. And wherever that was going to come from, they did not mind that at all. And believe me, you got to really be careful when you have contracts with sports leagues. But I always mentioned with the National Football League when people said it's wrong for the NFL, it's this and this. And I said, you can feel that way. But I was on record saying it, and they proved me correct. The NFL is a business. It's a billion-dollar business. And they let everybody know, we're going to be here for you. The NBA got interrupted. College football could get delayed. Major League Baseball has their issues. But we're the National Football League. We're America's sport. We're here for you. <laughs> and they were literally able to push and bully their league in terms of making sure football is going to happen each and every week. They moved games around. They put protocols in place, but they let everybody know every Sunday, every Monday night, and sometimes on a Tuesday or Wednesday, you are going to have the NFL. A week is not going to be canceled. I don't know if that hurt their brand in terms of the, the court of public opinion, but the NFL also knew by being out there, they increased their standing more than everybody else. Because to your point, Major League Baseball did not do themselves any favors, not so much by having a season, but all the contentiousness that went into that season and the contentiousness that was talked about after the season. And you're right, that CBA expires December the 1st. I can't even imagine what those conversations, what that narrative is going to sound like Major League Baseball, whether fans are in the stands or not. But the NFL, for all their faults and for all the criticism and blowback that they had to deal with, what happened? The season started on time. 
They had the season during the season. They had the postseason, and they had the Super Bowl without any games, any weeks being interrupted. We can say they were wrong to have a season, but the NFL can say we provided for the fans. The fans were there. We gave it to them, and that was going to be happening from that standpoint. And no, the I was only not team that the NFL for this decision. The only team that can 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 uh, argue that is Denver because they got screwed. Yeah, they the got screwed game, out of their right. bye week, and they right. and and the Baltimore Ravens got postponed five times and they had to play without a quarterback. And I said that, that, that wouldn't happen. And if the Broncos were good, mm-hmm. they would have handled that differently. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. There's no doubt about that, but the NFL, NFL, just like everybody else, what did Herm Edwards always say? I got 53 players. Some going to be here. Some going to be there. They're not going to be treated fairly. The NFL hasn't done anything different than we've seen from in politics or in sports entities. The more name or the more you can bring them in terms of money and prestige, you're going to get a lot more leeway than somebody that's not having the best of situations, no matter who you are. I, I, I totally get it. I, I thought like a, like a, a rough night would have been the night that the NBA decided not to play out of protest. And the story that I wanted to cover, and this is why I couldn't do a show with Freddie Coleman because this is not playing the hits. Like this is not Jason Barrett, Scott Massler play the hits. I got annoyed when the hockey waited a day to protest because they didn't know. And Elaine Vigneault, the coach of the Flyers, he shuts his phone off on a game day. And after he's on a Zoom call with these media and they're saying, did the Flyers consider not playing? And he's going, that's the stupidest thing in the world. Of course, we're stupid. And he gets called a racist. And I'm like, no, he's not a racist. He's in Canada. And he didn't know. And that was a story that I was focusing on because you don't need to come to sports radio to know that what the NBA players was doing was just, and what the baseball teams wound up doing was just what the hockey players were doing was not wrong. (laughs) They weren't wrong. And as soon as they realized what was going on back in the States, they, they, they followed suit. And I thought they should have been applauded and they got lambasted unnecessarily. Well, here's the deal with that, because if you're the NHL, I would not have had any problem if Major League Baseball decided not to follow the NBA players did because it's freedom of choice. Mm-hmm. The NBA players have freedom of choice in that situation. So no one should criticize Major League Baseball, the WNBA or MLS or the NHL. They said, you know what? You guys wanted to do that. That's fine. But we're not going to do that as a league. And if that, that for people, it's very easy more than ever before, Seth, to just throw stuff out there and hope that one of it sticks to the wall, then you feel like your agenda has been met. That's why we have this cancel culture that we have so much now. We're not saying that you should make excuses or make it, or, or even say anything, oh, you know, that's a good guy, even though he said that, or she's not that bad of a person. Wrong is wrong from that standpoint. But we've gotten to a point now that when somebody commits a wrong or does something wrong, says something wrong, we wanna push them aside and cast them aside. It depends on the level of the wrong that they had to say. Now, if they're a racist, homophobic person, you know they brought that on themselves. But they had a momentary, momentary lapse of reason, slip of the tongue, and they have not had any history leading up to that. I'm thinking, you know what? Give them a little bit of a break. Yeah, you called them out. You don't condone what they said or condone what they did. But that doesn't mean you just push them aside and say they shouldn't be allowed to be a part of whatever it is that life is going to bring to their table. Are you referring to Drew Brees? Oh, absolutely. Because when Drew Brees said that, and, I, and he and a lot of people jumped down his throat on that, and I said, "Well, here's the deal." They were they were they were putting up signs, you know, k- k- killed Drew Brees, like right. they were going after him yeah, in yeah. New Orleans, where he was yeah. such a figure. 
Yeah, exactly. And the thing that really helped out that situation was Drew Brees coming correct and realizing, you know what? I got a lot to learn. But the people in that locker room, they had the discussion. And I remember when all that happened, I said, if it's good enough for the Saints, then it should be good enough for you because they're mostly black players in that locker room. There are black players that know Drew Brees all this time. If they weren't willing to cancel him, then you can't do the same thing. you got to have the more understanding standpoint from that. That's not to say that he should have gotten away scot-free, and he didn't because he took a hit even on social media from some of his teammates. But then they had the dialogue. Then they had the discussion. Drew Brees did not go to the locker room, Seth, and he was on one side. The team, the rest of the team was on the other. Nobody met in the middle. They all met in the middle, and they all learned something from that standpoint, and it had absolutely nothing to do with football. I think we're really quick when bad news happens. That person is the worst person on earth. They may have had a worse moment, but that doesn't mean that worst moment and worst person are the exact same thing in that situation or whatever that situation is. Right. Everything has to be an isolated incident. Um, I do have uh, one other uh, pandemic related question. Mm -hmm. And uh, don't be surprised if your answer shows up in a Jason Barrett sports media column this week, because uh -oh. I'm, I'm writing about this. Right. Um, and that is uh, recently social media has taken a different stance. Um, J.J. Watt, Trevor Bauer, uh, Justin Turner all announced their big announcements by themselves. They took the media out of it. They didn't have a press conference. And I think that's a trend. I, I think that's something that is going to happen more than less. And the reason why it, it raised a red flag is I don't know how closely you noticed over the summer the NL East baseball writers. So the beat guys for like, and when I said guys, guys and girls, right. um, the beat reporters for the, the Mets, the Red Sox, the Phillies, the, the nationals like that cluster in that Northeast. And they were getting on Amtrak trains during a pandemic. Like what a train seems like the last thing I want to do. Right. And they were going to these other these road games for their respective teams to go on Zoom. Mm -hmm. They didn't go to a press conference. They never went to the locker room. They never went on the field. They were on. Zoom. And I said, what, what, what are you doing? Like, what, and they said, we have to show that it's important for us to be there because when this is over, they're not going to get sent as often as you can. Um, is the pandemic accelerating a, 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 a transformation in traditional sports media that is for better or for worse, just going to be different. You're getting guests. Now you use technology to get guests. You're doing shows from all over. Nobody went to radio row and I don't think anybody missed it. Right. And I know it's a long winded question, but there's, there's something there, right? There's some substance there. There's no doubt about that, Seth, because I told people when the pandemic is over, the landscape is going to completely change with sports. You're going to see different budgetary concerns when it comes to college athletics. But when it comes to outfield and sports media, the days of just having people go all over the place willy nilly, a lot of that is going to be cut back, even if teams are having not having any money issues or leagues are not having any money issues. More than ever before, or we can do that and save money and be cost effective and that person can still do their job. Well, guess what's going to happen? And if anything, I get this since a lot of athletes are a lot more comfortable having press conferences with Zoom 
because even though you see the person's face, you're not looking directly into the person's face. It's just people on the TV screen. It feels as if you're 2001 and I can't open a pod door base. How? From that standpoint, yeah, when yeah. it comes to post-game reactions. Great reference. And, and, and by the way, we haven't gotten any less from players in these situations. Plenty of times, see that players are more freer because of technology that they're used to. It's as if social media has taken over post-game press conferences because now you can just go see the bank of people. Somebody raised their hand. You answer the question and you still have those situations where somebody doesn't like a question that's particularly asked and it still goes viral the next day and it gets a lot of attention. I wonder when the landscape being changed, how that's going to affect sports media. I wonder how much of that we're not going to see as many people at big events where you can do it from Zoom and just a certain amount of people are going to be there, maybe heavy hitters from that standpoint. But I, I miss certain aspects of journalism that has been completely uh, uh, disenfranchised. Yeah. You know, I joke about the NBA because, I, and this is no offense to the great NBA, the, the Wojowski and, and Sharania and all these dudes. And I know Shams pretty well. And I know Woj a little bit. They're good, good guys. Okay. This is not to knock them, but if there's a, an NBA story that needs to be broken, just ask because the players are sieves. Like in the NBA, there is no breaking news. Like Blake Griffin, you know, this is dating the podcast, but Blake Griffin, who's been on this podcast, episode 170, just four episodes before Jason Barrett. Um, just this idea that, uh, you know, the, the NBA, that just the, these players, they squawk everything. Like they, they, they don't stop. In baseball, though, it's not like that. And in baseball, what I think you're missing is the profile piece yep. on the second baseman of the Brewers yep. mm -hmm. because a national guy happened to see, you know, he's based in Jason Stark's based in Philadelphia. The Brewers are in town for the weekend. Jason Stark goes and sits with him for an hour by himself and they just get uh, something. If you're requesting an interview, you're getting 10 minutes max. Yep. And what you're noticing is that that aspect of journalism, I think is now lost. Because how many times you hear about the storytelling aspect continues to be whittled and get smaller and smaller and smaller because, and a lot of that is due to the fact that there aren't newspapers like they used to be, because you could go and get a newspaper and read that story or magazines. I mean, Sports Illustrated, they cut back their circulation, for example, ESPN, the magazine has done the same thing more than ever before those long form pieces are not going to be as top of the mind as getting to it really quick, get five minutes, 10 minutes with somebody, let people read that, click on that, retweet it, send it out to other people. And then that story has that kind of legs. It's all about adapting to the times. And that's what newspapers have tried to do. And some newspapers have failed in that category, but also websites have done that. They've adapted and you have to, because more than ever before, people don't just want things now, Seth. They want things yesterday because they have put it out there that my time is too valuable. And if you don't value my time, I'm going to go somewhere where somebody else is going to do that in the shortest amount of time possible. That's another part of the landscape, even a little bit before the pandemic happened, that really started to change. For example, Kevin Durant goes in the Players' Tribune and lets you know exactly where he's going to go when it comes to his basketball career. That would have never happened 10 years ago because we remember the whole LeBron James thing where he had like a whole television show about it those kind of days are not going to be around because now right, it's but if he had instagram he doesn't have that television right exactly yeah it's instantaneous that you go on social media like jj watt didn't say thank you houston the text not decide the part ways you go about your business that's what the landscape is going to be and who knows if it's going to go back in what shape or form or what level or what degree we'll get back to sports with friends in just a moment but first did you know that i have another podcast that i do 
It's like sports with friends, but it's a little different. It's about the superhero sci-fi universe. I have been a fan of comic books, animation, movies, and when I started the Hall of Justice podcast, we wanted to do it for adults. Why did I name it the Hall of Justice? Because if you're old enough to know what the Hall of Justice is, you're our demographic. The idea of the show is to take the same passion that fans have for sports, but to bring it to the superhero genre. We have movie reviews where we spoil the movie. Don't worry, we warn you so that you can see it first. We also have celebrity guests where we interview actors, voice actors. The Hall of Justice podcast comes out every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts. It's fascinating, but it's it's scary because, you know, for people in our business, you just worry about, you know, what the future uh, is going to be. And, you know, who knows? Uh, who knows where where that's going? I want to uh, I have a transition to lighten it up. And then we, I, I just want to have some fun with you before we let you go. Good. Uh, number one, how do you feel about fake crowd sound? I can't stand it. I I hate it. And I've been to events where I've seen simulated games, for example, in baseball. I've been right. to skate arounds in, in hockey. I think the buildings got noises. I, I like those noises. Yeah. And I think they're really cool. Uh, I went to a hockey game a couple of weeks ago and the Boston Bruins scored a goal and I heard their bench and I was in the, the press area. Like, right. I, I love that stuff. I think that's cool. If you're going to have nobody there, I can't stand fake crowd sound. What say you? I, I don't like it either. I think you could do it in a way where if a, ce a celebration happens, then let the team celebrate first and then maybe bring the crowd sound up a little bit and then fade it back out from that standpoint. I think you can have that for the kind of ambiance that you're looking for in that environment. But I'm with you. I've done basketball games for Sacred Heart University in Fairfield on NEC front row. It's really cool. Somebody makes a big play and you hear the bench. And even with the crowd sound cool, coming yeah. in a little bit, the bench sound sound is so much better because they were excited for their team making a big play. So believe me, I'm, I'm not a crowd sound fan either. I think there's a way to do it, but I like the natural sound that when your teammate makes a big play that you hear the bench and the coaches before anything else. I'm a big fan of that. I, uh, I, I just, I, I miss fans though. I, I miss them. And I noticed it more so in hockey and college basketball. I was watching, yes. you know, my alma mater, I'm a Syracuse guy and I'm watching Syracuse. They're up by three against somebody and they get a big defensive stop and nobody's says anything. Yeah. And that's, that's weird. And like I said, in, in hockey, I think it's really strange. I miss the crowds. Uh, I, I, I watch, I watch hockey all, all the time, but I, I, you know, you feel the enthusiasm mm -hmm. and you can feel the energy, but that really is incumbent on the play-by-play -play announcer because yeah. you don't have that arena sound in, in, in the background. We did a funny month on the podcast where I interviewed the busiest people in sports because there was nothing going on during the right. shutdown. So we had a month where we talked to Kenny Albert, Ian uh, Eagle, right. and the engineer, the radio engineer, Chris Majkowski for mm -hmm. the Mets, the Giants, Knicks, Rangers, St. John's, and the Olympics for Westwood One. Good Lord. He's usually works 310 nights a year, and he'd been climbing the walls in his house. Right. And I said, he'll never say yes to this podcast ever again. And there was a whole month where we just had busy people uh, right. who, who were who were not uh, busy that I'll never, you know, been able to to, to get again. Um, <laughs> I, I just I, I miss that. I miss yeah. 
I miss that aspect. I, you know, the NCAA tournament has to happen. The NCAA mm-hmm. needs it and right. it should happen and, and, and it will happen. But again, it's another thing where it, it, unless the fans are there, it, it it's lacking something. Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned that because the Australian Open, it sounded like a oh, tournament. So they sent the fans home. Absolutely. I mean, midway through the match with Djokovic at midnight because of the lockdown. What the world was that? Yeah, but Were they you had on the radio to. when that happened. No, I was home by the time that happened from that <laughs> standpoint because that match is going on at three o'clock in the morning our time, but yeah, yeah, close to midnight their time. And I said I understand it, but you could tell the players the next day they were asking players, yeah, that this really stinks. But if that means we got to be safe, we got to do it for five days. I hope I'm around in five days and still playing. But you could clearly tell that a big shot would be made. And even though it was nowhere near where used to capacity at the Australian Open, whether it's Margaret Court Arena, Rod Laver Arena, it just sounded great having fans back there and feeling that reaction and having and the players reacting to that. So but in these times, you have to be able to adjust on the fly and look at New York. They're going to reopen arenas and there's a lot of backlash against Governor Cuomo and Mayor de Blasio about that. But every player to a man said, if there's only two fans in here, that's two more than what we're used to, and we'll take it. So you're right. And sports have told fans that more than ever before, we need you. You are central to what we do. And I hope fans realize that power, whatever normalcy is going to be, once the pandemic either slows down or it becomes our new normal dealing with that and trying to attend sporting events no matter who you support. You know, this is why this podcast is going to be long, because you brought up something that made me think of something. I do think, though, there's a change from the way we grew up watching sports to the way kids do it now. And I think the NBA is the best example. The NFL is an example too. For example, in the NFL, if, if, you know, if you grow up in the New York area, there is nothing compelling you to be a Jets or a Giant fan because of technology. If I want to be a Kansas city chiefs fan, I can, if I want to be a Dallas Cowboys fan, I can, I can see all of their games. Whereas when we were growing up, we had to like the locals. Mm. And I always think like the New York Knicks must not be making any new fans. Who, who is, who is nine years old learning about right. the NBA and going, Oh yeah, the Knicks, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. Right. I, I just wonder about those things. You know, if you're a Giannis fan, because you like his Instagram, you can live in Philadelphia and like Giannis, you don't have to be a Sixer fan. Yep. What about the idea that, fans can be fans of whatever they want from wherever. And that's because something look, totally against our line of thinking. Yeah. Cause look at Steph Curry. Steph Curry has as many young fans when you think about it in New York, as he does in San Francisco, Oakland, where he plays for the golden state warriors. And when you have technology and no kids one cares what time it, their games start. Oh, because kids can see the highlights the next day or younger people can On watch Snapchat, it right then and right. there. Yeah, they, they don't have to worry about being locked into a particular time. It's the same thing with podcasting. If you really love a show, you don't have to wait until 9 o'clock at night because I can download it anytime I want. Yep. And that is something the NBA has figured out. And the NFL is starting to figure that out as well. Patrick Mahomes is the face of the league in Kansas City. And people are like, yeah, anytime I watch Patrick Mahomes or if I want to find out more about him, I know where to go get it. But then there's those other sports. We have baseball. We have hockey. We have basketball where those teams are usually passed down from generation to generation to generation. Why do you like the Mets? Well, my mom and dad like the Mets. Why do you like the Yankees? My older brother liked the Yankees. Now you can have households where they say, are you a baseball fan? I'm not really a baseball fan, but I love that player. Well, I don't really follow basketball that much, but I love watching Giannis Antetokounmpo. We've seen that kind of fraction where it comes to people not just being fans of teams anymore. If somebody catches their fancy, it tickles their soul, 
that's the person they're going to be a fan of, and they don't have to be tied to a particular team when it comes to that player. But, you know, and, and this can go down another rabbit hole. The reality of it is, and I've challenged radio stations to do this, and I, you guys could have a great experiment on this. Uh, with, well, ESPN wouldn't like it, but come <laughs> out of a random commercial break, play a soundbite from Mike Trout, and give a T-shirt to the first person who's listening that can recognize his voice. And they wouldn't be, they wouldn't be able to. They wouldn't be able to. But no. to give me uh, Derek Jeter, um, Sammy Sosa, Barry Bonds, and David Ortiz, guys who have not played for years, mm-hmm. and anyone mentions them, and young, old, somebody knows what the sound of their voice is. And it's Absolutely. a really fascinating thing because – you know, there are people who say the Astros cheated. They couldn't pick George Springer out of a lineup. Or no one knows who Jose Altuve is. Nope. Yeah. They know it's a short guy that plays baseball. Right. They may not know what team he plays for. Seriously. Right. And program directors, and you don't have to admit this, but program directors will say, make sure every quarter hour in that goddamn PPM, you're mentioning the National Football League. And I, you can deny it all you like, but I'm that's, not the, deny that, it. The, that's NFL, the reality. The, the NFL sells. That's right. Period. The NFL offseason sells. It used to be what baseball used to be. We used to look forward to the hot stove report, Seth. Now the hot stove is is really the NFL and NBA. I mean, because they have been able to right. sell their offseason and say, you can't miss a moment. They let people know that we care about our sport to keep you updated. Major League Baseball needs to start doing that because you can't have fans like me and you where we love your sport, we care about us, and we care about your sport the way we care about the NFL and the NBA. One of the things I noticed when you had the solo show um, and I, uh, forgive me, I, I, I don't know if, if you've, you've abandoned this in the last couple of years, but one of the things I remember was you paid a lot of attention to the music that you played on your ESPN radio show. Still it was, do. and, and <laughs> I, I love that. I absolutely love that because music's a massive passion. You and I have yep. that in common. Um, and, and that's something that you have never let out of your repertoire. That's part of who mm-hmm. you are. Uh, yep. How much has music been important to you and who are your favorite uh, musicians? And, you know, just, just put that in because there are people just like people who love Giannis because of something he puts on Instagram, people are going to hear this podcast. who have never heard your show going, Oh my God, that Freddie Coleman, he plays this. And I'm a fan of that. Tell me your, give me your, 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 your concise music history. Well, I started in music radio. I wanted to be that next great FM DJ when I grew up as a kid. I wanted to be Frankie Crocker. I wanted to be Scott Muni. I wanted to be those people because, yeah, those are the people that I listened to growing up and they were just superstars to me. They were on the same level, Seth, as athletes and entertainers. So when I first got started in music radio, I was happy as you know what. My first job in Portland, Maine, where I made only $11,000 a year, but I thought I was a millionaire because I was doing something that I never thought I was going to do in a million years. And even though I was able to make that transition into sports talk radio, that music passion has never left. And I work with a guy named Ian Sims that he'll hear something. Hey, who's that? And oh, that's so-and-so. He'll oh, write that down because I'm going to listen to that and listen to that when we're off the air. So people pretty much know when they listen to our show that you, you're not going to hear the same old, same old stuff because I always thought about that. I ever got a chance to have my name on the show. I wasn't just going to play Welcome to the Jungle by Guns N' Roses or Back in Black by ACDC or anything by Jay-Z. We play everything. We play, one time we played Jolene by Dolly Parton on our show a couple of weeks wow. ago. 
because her 75th birthday. And to me, right. Dolly Parton's a national treasure. Right. She helped create the vaccines. Absolutely. So that started a conversation because Ian was like, man, you just never know. He said, I didn't know you were that much of a Dolly, Dolly Parton fan. Yeah, so yeah. people know and they listen to our show that it'll be something that they'll hear. I wonder what that is. And that's why I always put what the hours music is coming up, coming out of commercial. And I put on my Twitter handle, Coleman ESPN all the time. Yeah, you're always tweeting with songs that you got planned for the night. Mm-hmm. I always think that's a that's a that's a that's a great one. And you you have a you have an eclectic uh, uh, fanhood. You're not just you're not an R and B fan. You're nope. a music fan. You're oh, yeah, a rock and roll fan. You yep. you have this this wide range, and it's it's pretty fascinating. Um, and I hate saying it, but I have a 12 year old kid, and the music she listens to is absolute garbage and i'm not an old man (laughs) but it's not for us though oh my god no (laughs) it's not and i want to like i want to like tie her up and play make sure she hears Jimi hendrix and 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 hears um uh, earth wind and fire like just give me something that has instrumentation and music to it and i don't mind today's music in this day and age for example nipsey hustle god rest his soul i was a fan of his Mm -hmm. and i wonder how much he would have been able to do had he not been tragically had his life taken away from him Mm -hmm. but we're going to listen and go back to what we listened to growing up so when hip-hop first got started i know about the run dmcs and people like that or when alternative music got started i know about the depeche modes and the cures Mm -hmm. and everything like that so i'm really glad that on our show we can combine the young and the old and it doesn't matter what genre it is. We played Frank Sinatra on our show. Why? Because he's Frank Sinatra. You're supposed to play Frank Sinatra on your right, show right. when you get a chance. But we don't turn a deaf ear to what's going on now. But we're going to be more along the lines of 80s and 90s and early 2000s because to me, that music sounds a lot better than the music of the day. But there's a lot, I mean, the Food Fighters' new CD is fantastic. And we played stuff off that. When I first heard Shame, I said, yeah, that's getting burned on Freddie and Fitzsimmons because of fantastic record. So we don't turn a blind eye or deaf ear to new stuff. But if it's not as good as what we already have that we already listened to, then that goes into the garbage pile. What, uh, what was the last concert you were at? Oh, boy, the last one we went to, me and me and my wife went to, God, what show was that now? Oh, my God. That shows how long we, it shows how long the pandemic Crazy, really right? happened a year ago. And we went to a concert before that. And I can't name off the top of my head, who did we see? It's crazy. Yeah. It, I mean, the last show we went to, was we saw Chris Rock at Mohegan Sun. And nice. he was unbelievable. He was fantastic. His Netflix special. So that was the last hysterical. show that we went to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. His, his, oh, no doubt about that. But we saw him do stand on Mohegan Sun. So that's really like the last concert mm-hmm. that I went to before the pandemic. Uh, the last concert I saw was in Newark, New Jersey, at an amphitheater outside a free concert by the New Power Generation. Really? Oh, man, now I'm jealous again. The New Power Generation. This again. was in, I want to say, uh, fall 2019. Right. Uh, the new power generation was doing this tour and they were outside in, in, in this amphitheater and people just coming off the street near the Prudential center, but not in the Prudential center. Right. I just remember going and sitting and watching these guys. And all I wanted them to do was NPG songs. Right. Exactly. I don't need them to do the beautiful ones. They weren't there for the, for that. Yeah. Because that's Uh, Prince's best band to me. New power generation. That's his best band. I mean the best. And I, you know, for, for Prince, I was more of a nineties Prince fan anyway. Right. That, that was more my, my stuff. That was my influential years. And 
you know, the stuff after his name change is, is the gold experience and chaos and disorder. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and then the, you know, all, all yeah. oh, emancipation's a great album. It really is. And, and, and the NPG albums. Mm-hmm. So like, I want to hear them do cherry, cherry. Mm-hmm. And I, these are like deep cuts or hallucination rain. Right. Oh, yeah. Something like that. Oh, or oh, Johnny oh, mansion, for example, from oh, yeah, totally. no mm-hmm. play the songs that you played when you were there. And I was just watching those guys and that would make. And I remember like thinking that, but I never once thought, boy, I'm not going to see another concert for a long time. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows when we're going to get a chance to see the people that we like. That'll taking be on more tour. pictures. Yeah, we're gonna I'll do like Zoom concerts like they've been doing. Hopefully that people will yeah. tune in and, and watch it from that standpoint. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, social media. Uh, we talked about it in terms of from the athlete's perspective. Uh, one thing I noticed during the pandemic is uh, no one follows me for anything other than uh, comics and sports because right. I would tweet something like wear a mask and I would lose 50 followers. <laughs> um, uh, and I remember one time I went to the Meadowlands the Jets were playing the Denver Broncos. And I said, you could put 10,000 fans in here safely. And I don't understand why the building's empty. And right. I got called a comic, you know, a right wing nut job. And I was like, what? Oh, geez. <laughs> like, I, I'm not saying fill the building. I'm not right. DeSantis, you know? And right. it was just, it, 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 I don't know. It was just something that was very, very um, disconcerting, uh, especially during social unrest when they were, were stories. And I just uh, felt very hurt, um, not not by how many followers I have, but by the people that I found were so against. Like I was against college football. I I, I was I was I, I didn't want these kids who are not getting paid to be sacrificial lambs like that. And I said so. What about social media and the balance that you have, knowing? You represent a major corporation in ESPN, but it's yours. It's 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 you, and it's who you are. Yeah, I look at it this way: they have a right to feel any way they want, but I have a right to pay attention to it and not pay attention if if I don't want to. So if you clap back at me for something that I put out there and you don't agree with it, I'm good with it. I'm not going to have a discussion with someone who's immature. I just don't do that on social media. And I've had great back and forth with people where we had a difference of opinion, and if anything, they respect me more, and I respect them more. But when somebody goes off the rails like that, I'm not, to your point, I'm not going down that rabbit hole. You will go down that rabbit hole alone because social media has given people an excuse where they know they can put these things out there or respond to things out there without anybody coming to their house and knocking them upside the head. Because I guarantee if you told somebody that you can put out something on social media to somebody, disagree with them, say whatever you want, but that person can go to your house and then have a discussion with you, you'd be amazed how many bullies would go back into the woodwork where they came from. It has given them, and Kenny Smith said it best, when you got the, the Twitter gangsters out there, you can always be a Twitter gangster when you don't have to worry about somebody getting in your face and disagreeing with you when you say something silly. So they're allowed to say whatever they like. They can throw stuff at me, and I've heard everything from Uncle Tom and all that other stuff. Oh, for real? But you I, you yeah, get I, that stuff? Oh, oh all the, I still, still do all the time. But you know what, Seth? I'm a lion. I don't lie down with sheep. And if I'm lying down with a sheep, only one of us is going to get up. That's the lion who ate the sheep. And the base way to eat the sheep is not even pay attention to it and don't ingest what kind of poison they're trying to put out there thinking they're getting under your skin. I just don't get down like that. It's really weird because I've had a lot of women on this show too. And I, I, I do really love social media. I was telling you off the air, you know, when, when my best friend was killed, social media was, was therapy for me. It was, yeah. it was, the, it was the wonderful healing for me. And I, I really loved it. Um, 
but it's a cesspool, man. And I, I can't imagine. And I'm I'm a white man, so I don't get what other people get. Uh, and I can't apologize for that. And I won't. But the reality of it is, is that I, I say this, you know, we just had Shannon Dreyer on and she gets it all the time. Mm-hmm. There's so many things. She'll write a story about a player and people assume she's sleeping with the player and it's awful this stuff and she just blocks everybody she probably has hundreds of uh, thousands of people that she blocked i can't imagine uh the cesspool and like i said i hate it just because people get annoyed with me when i say wear a mask yeah put it this way i don't block people say stuff like that because i won't give them the satisfaction they believe they got to me you know i'll mute people so i don't have to see their crap on my timeline but in terms of blocking people seth I don't waste my time doing it because when you block somebody, what I've learned on social media, they take that as a badge of honor. I'm not going to let them eat off my- No, with Syndergaard. No, with Syndergaard. Exactly. I'm blocking people. I'm not wasting my time with a block for you. I know you're an idiot and you got on social media and removed all doubt from that standpoint, but you're never, ever going to get to me to the point that I feel need to block you because I don't want to see what you have to say anymore. I, I No, blocking somebody, I got better things to do than use the block button on, on social media. Well, it's a natural transition for me to say, how can people find you online? They can do that on, at Coleman ESPN on Twitter and on Instagram at Coleman Experience. And and the show is is 10 to 1 or 11 to 2 Eastern? Yep, 9 p to 1 a.m. Eastern time, Monday through Friday, Freddie and Fitzsimmons on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and SiriusXM Channel 80. So it's it's everywhere. Like it, anywhere you're hearing this, you can find ESPN Radio. It's uh, it, 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 it's right there. Yeah. Uh, Freddie, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for doing this. Come back, please. At, at anytime, Seth. I'd love to come back. It was my pleasure. I can't wait to do it again. We'll get more Prince conversations the next time with MPG. We'll do that. <laughs> Well, that'll be a separate podcast, but uh, we'll we'll, we'll do that. Well, I'll I'll say this. uh, If there's anything that you heard uh, from from, uh, the esteemed Mr. Coleman uh, here on the show, uh, do me a favor, reach out to him directly and leave me the hell out of it. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. (laughs) That's Freddie Coleman. Of course, he's at ESPN. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. We appreciate the ratings, the reviews. Freddie, I really appreciate your time. I appreciate you and also a little sly stone to take us home. Not bad by you, Seth. Hey, at least we have good music on this show. (laughs) Outstanding. If you want me to stay, I'll be around today to be available for you to see. I'm about to go and then you'll know for me to stay I got to be me. You'll never be in doubt. That's what it's all about. You can't take me for granted and smile. Come on, please, I'm gone. Forget reaching me by phone. Because I promise I'll be gone for a while. When you see me again, I hope that you have been the kind of person. 